Hi, this is Cheryl Fogel calling. I first encountered the sprawl through the comics of Sam uh, because a friend of mine started sharing some of them on Facebook, my friend Sherry McCauley. That's what drew me to the sprawl initially, and it reminded me of when I was a kid and the first thing I would read in the newspaper were the comics, but then I would eventually get to the other news. So that's kind of how I came to the sprawl. I support it because the sprawl is able to respond to issues in my city in a very um, immediate fashion, but it's not um, not dashed off, hurried responses. They're, uh, they're in-depth, and I really appreciate the love for the city that I was born in and have lived in my whole life, and that's why I support the sprawl. Thank you so much for everything you do. The next stop, Sprawlcast. You're listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. And Sprawlcast is a collaboration between The Sprawl and CJSW 90.9 FM. We are broadcasting slash podcasting on Treaty 7 land in Calgary. Sprawlcast is a show for curious Albertans who want more than the daily news grind. We find the signal in all the noise so that we can bring you in-depth stories like this one. This Sprawlcast is a little different. We did this one live with some Sprawl members watching on Zoom as we recorded. I was sitting alone in Loft 112 where we have our newsroom and everyone else was at their homes. I want to introduce our three guests. Familiar faces to anybody who has been reading and following along with The Sprawl. Um, all of these folks are contributors to The Sprawl and the project that we're working on right now. And the project is called the 2020 edition, 2020 edition. And we're looking back at the year through the lens of 20 stories of ordinary Albertans uh, who have been changed by an extraordinary year. So first up, Jimena Gonzalez is The Sprawl's assistant editor, and she's been leading the project that we're talking about tonight, the 2020 edition. And on top of that, she, cover, she covers urban affairs for The Sprawl and writes a regular feature called Streetfront, which you can find on our website. Jimena, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. And it's nice to see all the people signing in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. This is cool. We don't, uh, I feel like we often do our work uh, at a remove from folks. Uh, we know that they're supporting us, but it's cool to see people joining the group here. Uh, Sam Hester is the Sprawl's comic artist, and you've probably seen her Saturday comics over the past year uh, documenting life in the COVID era. And Sam is a Calgary-based graphic recorder and longtime indie comics creator. Thanks for being here, Sam. Yeah, thanks so much for having me here too. I'm keeping my uh, mute button on because I have two noisy children playing in the background and bringing a slice of real life to the stories of 2020. <laughs> that's, and that's, that's exactly what you're always doing. You're bringing the real life to, uh, to what we do at The Sprawl and letting all that stuff in. So that's awesome. Thanks. 
Christina Frangu is a Calgary freelance journalist who covers health and social issues. And her reporting has garnered multiple national awards and nominations, including a national newspaper award, which actually I can see behind your shoulder there, uh, Christina. So that's awesome. Uh, and that story, that award was for a story about her experience as a young widow. Christina, uh, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's it's not there because I'm very excited to be on Zoom and I wanted to show everybody, but just because this is like the only place I have in my house that I can work. So everything gets thrown in the back here, as you can see. There's even a dog that it's going to be coming and going from the screen periodically. Yeah, but yeah. It's great to be here. Well, that's how to do it. Just uh, real life, right? Yeah. Um, Christina, uh, starting with you, like you work as a health journalist, like that's what you've been doing. Not to, this isn't something you got into this year. Uh, you've been doing this for years and, and that's taken on some pretty heavy significance this year. Um, how has your work changed this year? Not just, I mean, life has changed for all of us, but like, how has your work as a health journalist changed this year? Oh, it's completely upside down. And so normally my, my work has sort of two worlds. One, I spend a lot of time in the United States reporting on medical research. And so I had a whole bunch of things lined up for February and March that I was going to spend that, spend, take a couple of weeks, go down to the United States, do some conferences and come back and just sit at my desk and get things done. So all of that was canceled. So as a freelancer, that's a lot of panic because that's a, a huge amount of income for me. And the other project I was working on in January and February was I had been shadowing Calgary's camp team. And I don't know if people know about the camp team, but they provide palliative care to, to Calgary's vulnerably housed. And, and they're a really fascinating group of people, so kind. And uh, I would you know, travel in their cars with them, go to the shelters, go to people's houses. I, I was getting to know people, understanding their stories. And then suddenly there was concern about this virus. And so all this time, I'm used to spending hours in people's houses when I interview them. That's kind of the work I do. And suddenly that was just off limits. Um, so instead I've gone to sitting here, doing everything from here, I have all the mess pushed to the back of the room so you can't see quite how bad it is. Um, and then also there's, Everybody in the city is now writing about health and writing about it on a on a daily basis. So I'm had to take a step back and find a different way to to try and cover the the major health issues, including COVID, but also more than COVID. And you actually brought us this idea of doing what we're doing right now, this 2020 edition of telling you know, these ordinary, these stories of folks who have lived through this year, where did that idea come from? And why did you, why did you bring it to the sprawl? Well, there's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is that I saw a, a small magazine in Texas did something like this. So that really, I sort of stole it from them, but they were just looking at people who had COVID, but it was just stories that aren't normally reported in this this like fast paced news cycle that we have right now. And then I've been looking for a way to try and write people's stories, just little vignettes throughout this whole thing. 
um, you know, when, when the outbreak at Cargill happened, I was writing a big feature about it for Maclean's and I was trying to find a different way in. And I spent hours on the phone talking to people who worked with different community agencies. And I kept hearing the names of different people and I would hear their stories. I talked to people who work with food groups who were putting together baskets of food and people kept telling me about this woman, Addie. Oh, if you're looking for so-and-so, you need to call Addie, you need to call Addie. And she's this, this person who used to work in, in community settlement and had just given her phone number to everybody. And so when the outbreak at Cargill happened, people started calling her because they maybe lived in a, in a house with four or five adults who worked at Cargill and people were sick and they couldn't go out and get food. And so she just pulled together a whole community to get food drop-offs to them. But that wasn't the main story about Cargill. So all these stories were just kind of being lost. And, and I guess the other thing is it's COVID has, has turned all our lives upside down. Like here we are on a Tuesday night talking into a computer and this is totally normal. This is all what we, what we do now. There's no one who, whose life hasn't been like really affected by, by COVID. And so this is a way to tell the stories of, of the many people whose lives have been turned upside down and how they've responded to this. And Jimena, Christina mentioned underreported stories and that's, that's your wheelhouse. Like that's what you've been doing at the sprawl with, with your feature. And, and I remember when Christina brought this idea to us, you were like, Oh yeah, like we got to do this. Um, what was it? Yeah. Why did you want to do this? Cause uh, like we tend to do a lot of news stuff uh, and this is a little bit different, right? Right. Right. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I think, all of us have an interesting story to tell this year, uh, not so ordinary. And I think we saw that people were really looking forward to that with Sam's comics. Like Sam was just sharing little snapshots of her life and people were so engaged and, and, and the stories really resonated with her. So when Christina brought us this idea, it was like, yes, more ideas, more ideas, more stories that people can relate to beyond someone being like, I don't know, high profile. Like this is kind of close to all of us because all of us have experienced something uh, different and we've all been changed by this year. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And, and Sam, Humana mentioned your comics and it's interesting how that has all taken shape um, just how, how your comics have become an integral part of the sprawl and how you've just been documenting what's happening, these very ordinary things that have been happening, uh, like in your life, uh, and, and, and on your street and kind of this microcosm of, you know, this huge thing that's happening in the world. Um, I'm curious, what is that? What has that done for you or what does that bring to you this kind of work where you're documenting this stuff in that way yeah well i mean if you ask the question of what it does for me that's like that's a whole different question than about like what's the uh what are the comics about and what am i trying to do but what it does for me is actually the most important part for me i guess it's that 
I think there's like this gap between what you wish you could do with your life and then there's your realistic life that you're in. And there's always like this tension of like making peace with where you're really at. And there's all these things I wish I could do to help. Like I usually want to help society however I can in the real world before COVID. But especially during COVID, there's things we want to do to help our communities. And sometimes we just can't do them. Like I'm looking after my kids and my mom and there's only a limited capacity. So for me to be able to share some stories and help to just maybe pass along a little empathy or help people reflect or give them a little moment of grace from a stressful day or make them laugh or make them cry. Cause I think people always tell me that these comics make them cry. It just makes me feel like at least I can contribute in some way that I can contribute. And that does so much for me because this the 2020 is a year of being frustrated and not being able to do, you know, those things you usually would would want to would want to do or wish you could do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a common uh, a common thing, a common Instagram comment on your comics, which is <laughs> I cried. Or I don't know how that started. Like that wasn't that's not my goal. Like that's not the thing that I'm like, I'm gonna make them all really cry. It's, mm -hmm. it's uh I think it's been the kind of year where people have been crying though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and it kind of gives voice to that. Your comics give people permission to like experience that almost. It's, that's my read on it. I think the the challenge in writing the comics is for me is always that I don't want to make it something that's inaccessible by writing about myself because I know in some ways I have a lot of privilege this year I live in my own house and I am pretty much like you guys have helped me to stay employed this year as a freelancer with the sprawl but I have had a job and I've been healthy so in some ways I don't want to write stories about my experience and others may have a much more challenging time and that might not really help them along but I think that if I just try to write something that comes from my own heart that's personal everyone has a story from their heart too. And if that is something that can somehow translate no matter where the others are at, it might still make people feel that they're not alone and that everyone else is going through their own version of the story. Yeah, totally. Well, it's like, Jimena, you said like everybody has a story, right? That's a, that's a theme here. Um, I'm curious, Jimena, you've been wrangling everybody for this edition, all these writers and... Uh, illustrators, Sam being the main one, not that we have to wrangle you, Sam. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, Jimeno, like what, what themes have jumped out at you as you look at each of these individual stories that have come in uh, from people about how they've gotten through it? Yeah, I think uh, the most important thing I've noticed is the importance and the value of community, how people have relied on community to get through, to help them through the day, and how some people are also giving back to community, like the people who are able to. And both are like completely valid sides of the, of the coin of our experience, because I think all of us have been able to either provide some help to our community or received some help from our community, just to keep us sane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And that's been like, in every different sphere, right? It's been like uh, doctors have experienced that or like business owners ha have experienced that, like that sense of community and, and support uh, for each other, which has been cool. 
It's, yeah, totally. And like parents and teachers, artists, like people from all walks of life. And uh, one thing that I think it's interesting is one of the profiles coming coming tomorrow or in a couple of days. Uh, it's kind of a high profile person, but it's kind of the opposite because it's like, yeah, she got to experience this and it's a big deal, right? So it's a side of people that perhaps we don't get to see very often. Uh, so like, yeah, it's been a very, like overall, it's kind of a good experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like the, or Christina, were you going to jump in? I saw you unmute there. Yeah, I, I wanted to say, I think one of the real like lessons that comes out of this, this project is we don't just hear the stories about anti-mask parades or, or people who are struggling to, to obey the rules or, or don't want to sort of abide by, by the public health recommendations. Like we're hearing about all the things that people are doing that really made a difference to other people's lives. And even hearing a nurse talk about his, his sort of challenge to stay focused on compassion when there's someone in the emergency department saying that I think this is a hoax and, and how he tries to manage those, those conflicted feelings because I think we all, all feel that. And so I, I love this project because we're talking about really good things that people are doing that might not get noticed and, and maybe they can be role models for someone else. Yeah, and I think you hit on, uh, Christina, you hit on a struggle for, for us at The Sprawl, but for a lot of the news industry, which is like, which stories do you tell? Uh, and, and, and there is no end of supply to like <laughs> all sorts of bad stuff happening basically, right? Uh, and all sorts of very disheartening stuff happening right now. And Jimena, you and I, we've talked a lot about this. It's like, well, we know that those stories, those stories sell in a way, like even like they, they generate the traffic, they generate the engagement as we call it. Uh, or in our case, like they, they generate new members. Like we, we, we know that. Um, but yet it's like, okay, there's these other stories that are important. Um, and yeah, it's not, it's not going to be like a viral thing. It's, it's not going to spread on the anger of, of folks who like share this around, but it's almost more, uh, subversive in nature almost. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I think like the news is full with the anti-masker stories, the news is full with whatever the government is doing and uh, videos of uh, crappy people going to stores. So I think it's a good thing, even if it's not as popular as jumping into the, uh, I don't know, negative train. Like we all know that that's happening. So adding to it, uh, I don't I don't really see the point. While these stories, I think, do have kind of a silver lining. Yeah, it's been a very hard year for all of us. Um, but at the same time, we've learned a lot. We've grown a lot. And these stories are not being really told by anyone, right? Because they don't really seem to be that important. But they are because they give us hope. 
And it's so, yeah, it's so true. Like we, what you say, like we've, we've all grown and like figured out ways to deal with this, but it's almost like, it's almost like it's easy to forget. It's almost like there's, you know, there, there's just always some new outrage or some new, uh, concern that almost displaces that you can lose perspective of like, oh yeah, here's what we've taken away from, uh, from this year. But, but that's a question. Oh, go ahead, Jimena. Oh, <laughs> I was gonna say that it's easy. I feel like to think that, well, the good news are there. Someone has to point out the bad stuff, which is kind of what I do in my column. But sometimes it is good to point out and to remind us that there are good things happening, that it's not all bad. And this edition, I think it's a very good example of that. Totally. So I'm curious, uh, for all of you, how how have you gotten through uh, this year as you work on telling these stories and you know documenting them? And I mean, it's Christina. Maybe I'll I'll start with you on that question uh, because I mean, you're you have close relationships with a lot of these folks that you're writing about uh, who are in these difficult situations on the front lines of uh, of healthcare. Yeah, this is, it hasn't been an easy year to figure out, figure my way out through this, you know, and I, I actually really had to take some time, which is hard as a, a freelancer, which is, which is being a small business owner and, and to say like, how am I going to find time for myself when I'm so worried that I'm going to run out of money in, in a month or two months or three months, there's just so instant, so much instability. And so I, I had to recognize that like, one time outside away from computers and and work is the most important thing I can do for myself and that and that has to be I that I have to be rigid about that and so having having a dog helps because you have to take them out but it has to be more purposeful than just just a dog um, and so I found I really value going for walks with my my uh, niece and nephews uh, we're not since they went back to school, I'm not in their bubble anymore because I'm in my parents' bubble. Like I'm, you know, I, I help look after them and I, I make sure that they're not isolated. And so the trade-off is I don't go watch movies with my favorite little people anymore, but we go for these enormous hikes on, on Saturday mornings if the weather's good. And we have this shelter we go to in North Hill Park and they think that's for them, but it's, it's really for me. Um, and then it's just going back to the same things that like get me through that I always rely on in a time of struggle. I love, I love to read. And, and sometimes I need to take a bit of a break from all the, all the big magazine stories. And, and I actually really went into a deep dive into like cold war spy novels for a long period, long period this spring. And it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, Just something totally separate from your, your normal world. Right? Yeah. There's no COVID in those books, no <laughs> COVID in those books. Um, and then, you know, my work, work is hard. Like I, I, I often do difficult interviews with someone. Maybe I'm sitting at, in, in the normal times, maybe I'm sitting at, at their house and, and I can angle my body towards theirs if, if they're upset. And, and there are ways you can interact with a person physically, even as a journalist, if, if they're someone you're interviewing. But to, to do it over the phone and just, I've really learned to sit there in silence when people 
want to tell their story and 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 in a way that's that's actually not so bad for me because people people want others to know what they're going through right now so i guess that's how i'm coping yeah that's that's all good stuff uh jimena how about yourself how have you got through all this this time in this chaos i don't know (laughs) i don't know it's funny because i think it's been a little bit the opposite to christina's experience like work has really helped me uh stay sane and given me a purpose and keep yeah like otherwise i don't know like i'm i am used to working from home and uh, last year i spent a lot of months uh, in my house after I injured my knee. So it was, it just felt like a continuation of that. <laughs> yeah, you were, you're just preparing for all this. You're just like one step ahead of everybody on this stuff. Yeah, I'm starting to uh, lose my mind though, I think. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, like work really helps. And I think uh, doing this work has also been very good for me. And I do feel bad that I haven't had a chance to interview more people in real life. Because it's like these are like my first uh, interviews outside from school, and I know that I do like to have that direct personal connection with people, especially like when I did the story um, about uh, immigrants earlier this summer. Like I felt like I wanted to be there mm. with them, and because uh, it is like such a personal uh, topic to talk about to somebody else. And I was like, yeah, I would like my job even better if I was able to uh, to be with the people in, in real life. But I guess it will come one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, a, there's just those things that you pick up on when you're doing, when you're interviewing somebody in person that it's hard to pick up on those things when, when you're remote. Um, I console myself with the uh, with the idea, my favorite CBC show probably is Wiretap, which is all done was it doesn't run anymore, but was all done by phone. I'm like, if that show can be done all by phone, and as it happens, actually, it's like such a good show done by phone. I'm like, okay, then uh, that's okay. That's a consolation in any case. Sam, how about yourself? I, I mean, you spoiler alert: read your comics, and uh, p- folks will know the answer to this question. Uh, but how have you? How have you got through? Yeah, I think uh, I I feel a little bit similar to what Christina and Jimena were saying too, that work is kind of a, it can can be something you have to consciously make the effort to get away from, but it also can be really sustaining. I think I, I don't know, I've had such a lot of learning this year. Like I used to read a lot of books. I used to study teenager books and write a little bit about them. But I found that reading those same novels I used to really love and I would read them for comfort because they were familiar stories. I felt like it, I was reading them before without the lens of the real world challenges. I just read them as an escape. And now I was like, these dystopic situations in these books are like in real life. This is not comforting to me. And even more, I feel dumb that I didn't realize how like how these books were just reflections of real life before. I thought they were just made up stories, but no, these are real stories. So I've actually found it more comforting to read the news and listen to podcasts about politics and just try to inform myself and stay feeling informed and prepared for what's going on in the real world rather than to escape into places where the real world isn't. Um, But I think that, I don't know, it's, there's been different, 
challenges for me in terms of work in that my usual work as a graphic recorder where I attend events in person all over the place are all they all were canceled this year so there was an opportunity for me to re-figure out how to do that remotely which is mostly kind of evolving but working out and then to write more comics which have always been just like a freelance side thing for me nobody makes a living writing comics but this year writing comics was a thing that uh, could happen in a sustainable way like it was something that people it was a way people could um, consume stories and pictures so figuring out how to make our, our online comics work with the sprawl, which was something that didn't really settle into a, a sustainable format, I think, until this year. We were kind of experimenting with different ways to do it. We hadn't quite hit on how to do it. And this year, I think we kind of got into a groove that worked. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, and, yeah, and the comics can say things in a way that, like, if we write an article saying the same thing, it just won't connect in the same way. I, I always find that interesting. Well, I found like in my work as a graphic recorder where I go and I listen to maybe at a conference where people are giving speeches and they're talking about something that they're an expert in. And my role is to go and take notes that also include visuals. And that's an idea to engage people and to help them remember what the content was about. But if people are talking about their subject of expertise, like here's some facts and figures, it is important to, to note that down. But more often it's if you write down the memorable little anecdote that someone tells or the emotion that they felt, or the funny joke that they told, people will remember that more. So like, I think in a, in a comics format, you have more permission to include those personal elements, and then you still want the facts and the figures, but you have permission to make them a bit more memorable by including the personal parts. Hey, we're going to get back to this episode in a moment. But first, I want to talk a little bit about how the sprawl works. Simply put, we rely on our listeners and readers to pitch in for our journalism. We don't have any paywalls. Anyone can listen to this podcast or read the articles on our website. But all of these stories are possible because of our members who sign up to pitch in a few dollars a month. This is what makes our journalism sustainable. I don't want to lecture you. What I do want to do is invite you to be part of our community. It's a bunch of regular people making this happen. Regular folks like Daniel. Hey, Sprawl. It's uh, your friend Daniel, uh, who live in, living in Victoria now. The Sprawl is something that means so much to me because we don't have this kind of local journalism. We have corporate journalism that we're inundated with everywhere. And what you guys bring is something that I think all Albertans can be, uh, can be proud of and can feel connected to. And for me personally, living in BC, this is how I stay part of my home. Anyways, love you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Daniel. I'm glad the sprawl can connect folks to Alberta like this, and we'd love to have you on board too. Sign up at sprawlcalgary.com. And after you do sign up, we'll send you a copy of our limited edition zine. Okay, let's get back to the show. We're going to switch gears here and hear from the Sprawl's new municipal affairs reporter. I talked to him about his latest story for the Sprawl, about the surge of PACs, or third-party advertisers, in municipal elections. All the way from Medicine Hat, Jeremy Appel. <laughs> Jeremy is the Sprawl's new municipal affairs reporter, and he previously worked as a reporter at the Medicine Hat News. And 
is officially a Calgarian as of this month. Uh, so welcome to Calgary, Jeremy. Hello, uh, it's great to be here in, in Calgary as well as on the Sprawlcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like this is a long time coming. Um, so shifting gears, let's talk a little bit about politics because this being the Sprawl, we got to talk about politics. Uh, and municipal elections. So you're covering uh, next year's municipal election, starting to look at some of the things that are bubbling up and taking shape as we get closer to that. Um, and yeah, what what are you seeing in Calgary as we head into 2021 and next October's municipal election? Well, uh, firstly, we're keeping track of the candidates who are running in the election on our website, as sprawlers probably know, uh, right now only a few incumbents have declared their intentions either way. That's Farkas, who's running for mayor, uh, Sean Chu, who's running for re-election, and Shane Keating, who's not. So there's still a ways to go um, in, in terms of figuring out who's running and that sort of thing. But Something that I think is very much worth paying attention to is the proliferation of third-party advertisers or uh, PACs, uh, political action committees, as they're known in the States. And it's one of those terms that have sort of uh, migrated up to Canada. Uh, but TPAs and PACs are the same thing. And so what they are are um, advertisers who can promote an issue or a candidate. Um, and I mean, you often uh, see them on social media posting uh, pretty cringy memes. Um, and, um, you know, I'm originally from Ontario and Ontario Proud, I think is very much like the, the gold standard of uh, having an effective third party advertiser that uh, succeeds in sort of uh, defining a politician that they want to see removed. And so here in Calgary, well, I guess start in Alberta, uh, there are some changes recently to legislation uh, regarding election advertising. So the NDP a few years ago, well, probably more than a few years ago, because it started when they were first elected in 2015, uh, passed some pretty significant campaign finance reform that banned individual donations from corporations and unions and established a $4,000 limit per person to donate to a candidate, and that's $4,000 total. So you'd have to divvy that up among the candidates you wanted. And so the idea of this and how it was sold at time was that they're leveling the playing field. And so that, you know, big money can't just buy elections. But unions and corporations weren't prohibited from donating to third-party advertisers, which are, I mean, a relatively new phenomenon, right? Yeah, in Alberta especially. Like, yeah, this is new terrain, right? Yeah. And so what happened was, all, I mean, especially corporate money, but also union money, 
would just give money to a pack. And um, this actually allows them to have much more influence than just giving money to a candidate because you can give as much money to as many packs. Well, not as much, we'll get to that in a second, but you can donate to as many packs as you want. So you can actually have a much greater effect on shaping the discussion around the election than just helping out, you know, a candidate or two. Mm -hmm. And so the UCP uh, this year in recent months, I guess in the past six months, uh, passed two legislations that changed uh, the way uh, elections are funded, sort of took the flaws from the NDP's legislation and uh, built on them. And so Bill 29 passed uh, last month and it uh, increases the limit from $4,000 to $5,000 per donor, but it removes any limits on how many donors you can give you so you could give five thousand dollars to someone in every single ward in, in theory yeah and it also uh with regards to packs as well as individual donations it prohibited municipalities from passing legislation that requires them to disclose their donors before the election and so mandates that six months after the election they need to give their donors. But while the election campaign, yeah, exactly. So while the election campaign is going on, you have no idea who these people are getting money from, though, I mean. And you don't necessarily know their affiliations either, some of these groups. Like you're trying to figure out, like you see an ad in your Facebook feed or whatever. And it's like, oh, Save Calgary. Who is that? Uh, Who's funding this? Who's, yeah. And um, not to bring it back to Ontario too much, but Ontario Proud were masters of this, of just posting like the most like nonpartisan, like nature photos. And it's like, share if you think Canada is the best country in the world. And so people will be like, all right, yeah, I like Canada. And then you like it and they start filling up your newsfeed and then it's just like, bam, propaganda, right? about yeah. you know the carbon tax needs to go or whatever yeah and i i don't know if any of the packs in calgary or alberta are are that sort of sneaky but um in any event uh after so just a couple weeks ago i believe the provincial government passed bill 45 mm-hmm. which caps the amount of money you can donate to packs at $30,000 per person. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a substantial sum of money. So I can give only $5,000 to a candidate, but I can give $30,000 to a pack, basically. Yeah. And in both cases, you can give up to that limit to as many as you want, right? Yeah. So it really opened the floodgates for, uh, you know, what uh, Jane Mayer, a New Yorker, uh, famously called dark money into municipal election campaigns and critics i would consider myself one of them say that this just makes it easier for 
the wealthy to purchase elections. Yeah, right? yeah, totally. Yeah, so this will be a big thing uh, in 2021. I should mention uh, Jeremy's story. It just got posted. We just posted it this afternoon. So you can find that on our website, uh, sprawlcalgary.com. So make sure to check it out because we've got, Jeremy, you d- dug into some of those groups that are already kind of uh, gearing up uh, in Calgary before October and, and don't have to disclose where a lot of their money is coming from, right? Yeah, only one has uh, officially registered and that's Calgary's future, which is, uh, you know, a lot of the discourse around PACs and dark money centers on right-wing pro-business corporate donors and and rightfully so because that's where most of the money is but there are also you know more progressive packs that are trying to operate within the system that to the extent they can and so calgary's future is funded by a couple qp locals and then the calgary district labor council whose president is one of the organizers of calgary's future and yeah. And I, I mean, it's really early, as as we all know, in the election. Well, I mean, it's not even election season, right? Uh, technically, election season doesn't start until April, I believe. But it's 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 very but, much uh, feels like it's underway. <laughs> yeah, it's and, get, it's and, and I mean, underway. save. Yeah, and oh, uh, it, it's very much worth mentioning that these packs can raise can spend as much money as they want until six months for the election. Yeah. Right. That's so yeah. if in the coming months expect to see your newsfeed bombarded with, with these partisan, ads. yeah, partisan mm-hmm. ads that are technically not partisan. End of line. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. been listening to a special live edition of Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. And make sure to sign up for the other Jeremy's newsletter. Jeremy Appel writes the City Hall Sprawl newsletter every week and you can sign up for that on our website at sprawlcalgary.com. And while you're there be sure to check out the 2020 edition, 20 stories of how ordinary Albertans got through an extraordinary year. These stories are good for the spirit and bring a little hope. The Sprawlcast Live you heard on this episode was coordinated by Miranda Martini, the Sprawl's membership editor. Miranda and Jeremy both joined the Sprawl team in November, and we're super happy to have them on board. We want to hear your testimonials of why you support the Sprawl. You heard some of them on this episode, and it's super easy to send in yours. All you have to do is phone 587-885-3139 and leave a voicemail. Our theme music is by Dan D. Augustino and Kenny Murdoch. Our C-Train narrator is Holly McConnell. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>